Welcome to All Students of Stanford Unite, the official podcast of the Associated Students of Stanford University and Stanford Student Enterprises. I'm your host, Cricket Vitalman. Today's guest is a world-renowned neuroscientist and beloved father who has also been recently appointed as an officer of the Order of Canada, our university president, Dr. Mark Tessier-Levine. How are you today, sir? I'm very well. Thank you, Cricket. I wanted to focus on what Stanford's plans are for the future, since in past episodes this month, I have been talking to people about the ASSU's work in the past. So I apologize in advance. None of these questions are particularly easy. On November 20th, there were 198,633 new COVID-19 cases across the country. As far as students are aware, the plan is currently to have freshmen, sophomores, and transfer students on campus for winter quarter. With the understanding that none of this content will be released in any form until December 3rd or 4th, is this still the plan? And how is that plan affected by the overall increase of COVID-19 cases across the country? Well, uh, thank you, Cricket, for that really important question. And and the answer uh, currently is absolutely. Um, We have been planning for the return, as you say, of the freshmen, sophomores, and transfer students. Also, we, we allowed uh, other students to ask for academic exceptions to be uh, on campus um, as well. We've spent the fall really honing all of our systems for testing, contact tracing, isolation and quarantining. Uh, we've had, as you know, uh, about 6,000 students on, on campus, uh, mostly graduate students, but also about 600 undergraduate students uh, who had special circumstances. Um, and we've been putting in place uh, and, and test driving, if you will, uh, all of the uh, appropriate tools uh, to be able to manage, uh, you know, having people on campus, including more undergraduates, even in this time uh, of crisis and increased um, uh, rise in, in, in COVID cases. So currently our plan is to, to move ahead. Uh, we, of course, will, uh, in this time of COVID, Uh, We always have to be prepared for possible course corrections, but at this point in time, assuming that we can continue to manage the arrival of students with all of the the appropriate uh, health and safety precautions, uh, and that the rules that the county imposes on us, and especially on students, uh, are such that uh, they would not uh, interfere with the students having a fulfilling experience here on campus, we're going to go ahead. So our plan is to move ahead. At one point during fall quarter, the Daily reported a 19% non-compliance rate among students with campus testing policies. Assuming that there are a larger number of students on campus for winter quarter, how will adherence to this policy be ensured? Is there any possibility of eviction for students who don't comply with this policy? And how heavily will their housing situations off campus be considered? Well, we're cricket. We're really focused here on education um, and on on really uh, working with the students to understand the importance of all of the measures that are in place, including the testing. There there has been non-compliance, but in some cases it was because of some kinks, if you will, with the testing procedures. At this point in time, we're very hopeful that students are going to be very motivated to come together with the understanding that they have to help one another, the safety of the community. Uh, depends heavily on on the actions of each and every one. So it's going to be primarily that we will be encouraging, exhorting the students to do this. We're going to rely on students, encouraging their classmates and their friends also to be in full compliance. That is the major tool that we're going to use at our disposal to try to ensure that people comply and that we keep our caseload low and that we maintain safety within our community. 
Is there any likelihood of having to send all students back home in the middle of the quarter if there is substantial non-compliance with the campus testing policies? From the get-go, we have been very concerned about the idea of sending students home uh, in bulk in the middle of the quarter. We, we don't think that it would make sense to bring people here if we can't, don't have the resources, including beds for isolation and quarantine, uh, to be able to manage uh, what happens on our campus. So as we've made our plans, we've done them uh, deliberately and very intentionally with the aim of having people come and stay here through the quarter. I did see an announcement today that Princeton has said that all students will definitely be offered campus housing for they're on the semester system. An increasing number of schools are making their decisions clear, but in the last email that we got, we were told that there would be an announcement before the university's closure for winter. Why has there not been an announcement already? We have said steadfastly for some time now is that we've been working, we're working to bring students back to campus. We've said that we will have a final decision in early December based on the facts on the ground. Uh, the landscape is changing so rapidly, Cricket. Uh, we, of course, want to continually be looking, adjusting course correcting as I described. Uh, we can see some circumstances in which we might have to reverse course, just as we did, you'll recall, back over the summer, where we announced in June that we were wanted to bring students back, but by mid-August, um, there are a number of reasons why we felt that that was not the prudent thing to do. Currently, we're on track to doing it, um, but uh, we want to continue to assess the facts on the ground, and that's why we're gonna make an announcement early December to really finalize this based on where we're at at that time. We wanna do it efficiently in advance so that people have enough time to plan for the, the winter quarter. Students have been asked to purchase refundable travel to campus, but this really leaves a lot of economically disadvantaged students at a loss because there's a little bit of an impossibility in some situations. So can and will financial aid cover the difference between refundable and non-refundable travel for those students? As you know, we've said from the get-go, and I, I hope that all students take advantage of this, that it, it, people who are in financial need, who have issues that arise for whatever number of circumstances, including the one that you just described, should definitely be in touch with staff and student affairs. Our aim is to support our students financially as they incur these problems and these additional expenses. So yes, uh, absolutely, they should be in touch with the staff and student affairs. In spring quarter, all classes were required to use a satisfactory no credit grading system, even though there was some advocacy by people in the ASSU to possibly switch to a universal a or no pass system. This quarter, that wasn't the case, which puts anyone from a disadvantaged group on uneven footing with their peers since graduate schools like to see good grades and also since some departments are still not accepting satisfactory no credit classes toward major credit. Disadvantaged students may face housing insecurity or other adverse circumstances and also may have daily living or other obligations that take precedence over academics. However, professors need to be able to assess student learning and convey their curriculum effectively. Some professors have also assigned due dates well after the quarter ends. For example, I've heard from a couple of students who have December 2nd deadlines for some assignments. How will Stanford be maintaining a balance between students' external situations? Will there be a new requirement for professors to not extend due dates after the quarter ends? Well, these are, uh, again, really important questions. Uh, Cricket, you, I think you know the policy on grading is managed by the faculty through the Faculty Senate, uh, not by the university administration. 
There have been very public debates on this, uh, first in the spring quarter and then later in the year, as the people have looked very carefully at this issue, very much motivated by the kinds of issue that you, you have raised, which is the uneven playing field, if you will, for students. I think everybody recognizes that this is a very difficult quarter. We know that graduate schools are taking this into account as they look at students' performances and the type of grades that they have. This is something the entire world is subjected to and big allowances will be made. At the same time, the faculty decided to proceed with the plan that you just mentioned, really trying to, to balance bringing things back to more of a, a semblance of normalcy while still supporting students who find themselves in very difficult circumstances. The Vice Provost for Undergraduate Education, Sarah Church, has been very steadfast in saying that we're here to support uh, students who have difficulties, students who are in need. The university has a whole set of mechanisms to make accommodations uh, for students who have difficulty. And I urge any students who find themselves uh, in those circumstances to work directly with their professors, but also to feel free, encourage them to, to reach out to the Vice Provost for Undergraduate Education to help in navigating this situation. Very concerned for our students. We understand how difficult it is, and we want to make sure that we're there to support um, all of our students. But that being said, there are still projects that are being assigned well after the quarter ends. For example, as I mentioned earlier, December 2nd is a deadline that some professors have. And not only that, but there are still finals. Although some, you know, some professors are calling them different things, second midterms or end of quarter assessments or other things like that, even though there's no week dedicated to finals, either now or as far as I'm aware in winter or spring quarters. Is there any action that the university is taking on that or any recommendations that the administration are giving to professors? Again, the Vice Provost for Undergraduate Education is really working with the faculty directly on this, and they urge uh, any students who have concerns about this to, to reach out to them directly. The administration is not responsible for, does not have the authority to manage that. I think it's important to talk a little bit about racial justice, because there are an increasing number of people and institutions taking firm stances on racial justice and other political issues, which are super contentious during the Trump administration. Stanford has chosen to remain fairly neutral, although campus landmarks are being renamed like Jordan Hall. What is the explanation for this neutrality? I disagree with your characterization, Cricket. We came out very clearly back in, in June after the brutal murder of George Floyd, stating that we need to seize this moment to advance racial justice on our campus and also contribute to advancing it in our nation and, and in the world. And we laid out a number of initiatives building on our ideal initiative, focused on inclusion, diversity, equity, and access in the learning community, including the creation of a community board on public safety, including the creation of a Black Community Council that will engage Black alumni with students, staff, and faculty for oversight of initiatives focused on supporting our Black community, including initiatives focused on training and education programs for faculty, students, and staff, including implicit bias training, including academic programs like the Ideal Fellows Program that supports the work of early career researchers in race and ethnicity. And even though we're in the midst of a financially difficult period for the university, where we have a freeze on hiring new faculty, we announced a 
faculty cluster hire that is moving forward where we're searching for 10 scholars for leaders in the study of race in America, as well as public advocacy, including an amicus brief that we filed just yesterday, challenging the recent uh, executive order on diversity training. So I disagree with your characterization. We've not been neutral. In fact, we've spoken out very strongly and believe very firmly we have to tackle racial injustice in our country, just as important, perhaps even more important, to shine a spotlight on ourselves and tackle it in the midst of our community as well. What about the memo that was released, I think last week or possibly the week before, saying that there was going to be, that there were going to be some measures regarding sensitivity training? And as you saw, the information that was posted on our website was posted without receiving necessary review and approval. And I'm very deeply saddened by the pain and hurt that the that so-called checklist cause are profoundly committed to providing anti-bias training, draws on the expertise of all members of our community. Again, as I just mentioned, we've joined an amicus brief, a legal challenge with others to support uh, the legal challenge to the executive order. So what does that training look like then? Well, we have training uh, already across the university. This is something that we are continuing to work on to see what we can adjust to to make it more systematic and better. It addresses uh, issues of bias in uh, recruitment, bias in promotion, bias in interactions, uh, as well as issues related to how people interact and uh, harassment and so forth. So those are the, the kinds of issues that are, are being tackled in a bias training that is being implemented and built upon uh, and will be expanded further. Again, that's one of the goals here in the near term uh, to really drive that uh, further. One change that was also released recently was the new 5150 policy in which students will be addressed, I suppose is one way of phrasing it, by first responders instead of by police officers. Do you have anything to say about that? This, of course, has come from a deep engagement of our staff, including our staff in student affairs who have been working with uh, student groups and others to address uh, in all of our policies, how do we go about carrying them out? in a way that is respectful of our students, supportive of our students. Where are things working well? Where are things not working well? And out of those conversations, out of that analysis came this modification, which we believe uh, will be an important step forward. At least one of your children is going to Stanford or has been. How did you experience that both as a staff member at the university, also as a father? That's a great question too. My daughter applied and was accepted at Stanford, was excited to go. And then she was mortified to learn that I was being considered to be president. She hadn't, we were living on the East Coast at the time and she hadn't uh, planned on bringing her parents 3,000 miles with her to go to college. When I, I was offered the position and took it, she was very generous and was willing to endure having me here. I think it was not necessarily easy for her at the beginning. She was afraid that it would be awkward, but over time we, we found my pledge was really try to, to do my best not to embarrass her, which of course is impossible as a parent, uh, but uh, I did my best. Over time, uh, for me, it certainly has been wonderful because I'm able to see things through her eyes. She's, as Harry Elam has put it, uh, about his own child. Uh, she's like a focus group of one where I can ask her to help me understand uh, the situation. Of course, understanding that she only sees a sliver of our community, but nonetheless, she can give me an unvarnished view of what students are thinking, how they're reacting to, to things that we're doing, what's on their minds, what inspires them, what excites them, but also what concerns them, what troubles them. It, it's been extraordinarily valuable for me to be able to 
to talk to her and her friends. She has a broad group of friends from lots of different backgrounds to be able to learn from them also. So I feel very privileged. She is in a co-term currently. So my ability to, to benefit from all of her uh, insights and input as a limited half-life now, but very grateful for the time that we've had together. Are you on campus at the moment? I am on campus, absolutely. Yep. How has that been as compared to before COVID? Well, it's completely different, of course. It's so quiet. Yeah, I should say I work from home right now, but the faculty subdivision here on campus, and I, I do walk around campus. I want to see how things are going and, and see people's comings and goings. We have, as I, I mentioned earlier, thousands of students here, mostly graduate and professional students, but also some undergraduates. People are going to labs to do work, uh, to the library and the archives to, to do work. Uh, people whose research can't be done online. So I do see some people here, but, but it's much, much quieter. I miss really the wonderful community of students and faculty who really you know, are the heart and soul of, of the university. And I can't wait for everybody to be back here on campus, I have to say. I think every student is very excited to have that possibility. Are faculty also held to the testing standards? Starting in January, for anyone who comes to campus, there'll be mandatory testing. That includes faculty, that includes staff, that includes postdocs. But how is that being enforced? In the same way, the people who come on campus will, to go into a building, you have to use the Health Check app, and uh, it will be linked with the testing requirements so that the tests are administered through our two partners, Color and Verily, and that all gets uh, linked up to the Check app. Ah, okay. I also heard that students were asked to put all their belongings into storage if they're leaving campus for winter break and that they have to take on those costs alone. Is there any sort of system that the university is taking on to help with that? Cricket, be honest, I'm not aware of those details you just mentioned. Again, our student affairs staff are very attuned to uh, the concerns and the burdens of our students. So uh, let me check in with them. But obviously, we want to be supportive of our students. Right, of course. So last question, I think it's always good to end with something that's a little bit on a lighter note. Holiday break is coming up and you have a little bit of a longer work period than students do, but do you have any holiday break plans? We do. The current plan is to go to Utah where to attempt to do some skiing if that's possible, but if not, just to, to relax. All right. Yeah, I think skiing is something that could definitely be done with social distancing, although I'm sure that other people will find that very, very popular as well. Thank you so much for joining me today. No, thank you. I really appreciate it. And I wish you all the best with, with your plans as well. That was Dr. Mark Tessier-Levine, a recently appointed officer of the Order of Canada and also the Stanford University president. This has been another episode of All Students of Stanford Unite, the official podcast of the Associated Students of Stanford University and Stanford Student Enterprises. I'm your host, Cricket Beidelman. Have a great rest of the holiday break.